Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with CoreLogic. In this podcast, we'll have conversations with industry experts about key topics from housing affordability to the impacts of natural disaster on property. At CoreLogic, we have four main pillars that guide our philanthropic efforts, and supporting our veterans is a huge one for us, which is really close to our hearts. Along with our Military Engagement Association Employee Resource Group at CoreLogic, we also have a program called LEAP, which is designed to help junior military officers transition into the private sector while taking advantage of the knowledge, learning, and experience gained through military service. And as we continue this commitment outside of our company, one organization that we're proud to team up with is the World War II Foundation. For Veterans Day, they released a documentary called Elvis and the USS Arizona, for which CoreLogic was a presenting sponsor. The documentary recaps efforts to build a memorial for those 1,177 crewmen who died aboard the USS Arizona during Pearl Harbor, and how Elvis Presley was instrumental in making it happen. So to dive into this today, we welcome Tim Gray, documentary film writer and founder and president of the World War II Foundation. Tim, welcome to Core Conversations. Thank you. It's an absolute honor to be with you guys today. Well, let's start off by learning a little bit about you. How did you get into documentary film writing and how did the World War II Foundation come to be and, and why is this cause so important? Um, do we have about seven hours? I mean, if we if this is a <laughs> podcast, we can certainly cover all that. Actually, I'll give you the short version. Um, I was a television sportscaster for about 15 mm. years, worked around the country uh, doing that, but I always had this amazing fascination with World War II since I was probably about six years old when I picked up my first book and, and read these incredible stories. So um, I took my journalism degree and spent 15 years doing TV sports around the United States. And then when I decided I wanted to make a career change, I decided what I wanted to do was take that journalism background, the writing and the video and all the video production work that we did and, and do documentary films on World War II. So we uh, did our first film in 2006, where we took four D-Day veterans back to Normandy to show us where they were on the day and their personal stories. And that led into our second, and now we're working on our 29th. So it's been um, an amazing story wow. of going back to the places where all these stories played out, whether that be Auschwitz concentration camp or Guadalcanal Island in the Pacific. So we, sh we shoot everything on location. And a lot of times, at least in wow. the past, we've tried to take veterans back with us, although that's getting a little more difficult. Right. Well, we'll talk about following your passion. That is so great. And I'm so glad we have you here to chat. And, you know, a lot of our listeners might be thinking, CoreLogic is a property data analytics company. What do they have to do with, with World War II? So can you talk a little bit about what's the story between our relationship here at CoreLogic and the World War II Foundation? Well, the, the CEO of CoreLogic, Frank Martel, uh, his father-in-law is a World War II veteran, recently turned 100 years old. So wow. when we first started talking with Frank number one, he told us about Frank number two and uh, his time in, in Europe and, and being taken as a prisoner of war by the Germans. So Frank really understood the connection with that greatest generation and why it was so important for future generations uh, to understand what that generation did. I mean, we are who we are today because of what they did. And and there's an example right there that, that Frank Martel was looking at almost every day to mm -hmm. see 
his father-in-law who, who really lived that whole, um, that whole we save the world time. And I think um, there's a lot you can learn from that generation. And I think with, with Frank Martel, um, just having interacted so long with his father-in-law, he, he learned about the great values of that generation, the work ethic of that generation, and, and really everything, uh, that blueprint that that generation left us. Um, they were a bunch of teenagers who saved the world. And I think um, it also helps you to overcome adversity, whether you're in a corporate setting or if it's, a, if it's in a private setting, when you're facing adversity, um, I always bring up that generation who, who stared at adversity and, and kept moving forward. So they really have become a symbol in my life, in Frank Martel's life, and a lot of other people's lives about um, when you face adversity, remember what that generation did. They, they moved off the beach. They put their helmet on a little tighter, and they kept moving yeah. forward, and they saved the world. So there are a lot of lessons to be learned that, that are around today. Uh, in a corporate environment that go back to the 1940s and in that particular generation. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And that really, I mean, off the top, I talked about how, how this is so important to us here at CoreLogic and it really is driven by Frank Martel and his passion and what he's instilled in us as a company. And, uh, actually my father-in-law also is a world war II veteran, but he's no longer with us. So I feel like there's so much I don't know because I haven't had that connection of those stories being passed down and, and, you know, stories that we want to tell our children that my husband has heard from, from his father, but it's uh, so I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation with you today and really kind of dive into some of this. And so let's just start talking about the, the film, the documentary. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? What, what story does it tell? We spend a lot of time out at Pearl Harbor. So we, we've been out there probably to film maybe 14 or 15 times out at the USS Arizona. So when you're out there and you're talking to the historians out there and you're even talking to the veterans out there, these stories start to percolate about the, the man, uh, Joe George, for instance, who saved the final six men off the USS Arizona. So we ended up doing the film on that because we thought it was an incredible story that needed to be preserved and not many people knew about it. Then Elvis comes up of all people and they're like, did you know Elvis's role in all this? And I said, well, Elvis was born in 1935. So I don't think as a six-year-old Elvis was at Pearl Harbor, <laughs> but it's not until 1961 do we find out that Elvis uh, played a real important part in getting the USS Arizona Memorial built. And all of a sudden that story starts to, to lay itself out. And um, so what we did is we went back out to Pearl Harbor and we interviewed a whole bunch of people who went to this benefit concert that Elvis held at Pearl Harbor on March 25th, 1961. And ironically, some of the people who attended that concert in 1961 had also witnessed the actual attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941 as five-year-olds, as six-year-olds. So all these pieces of this puzzle start to come together. And the USS Arizona was struggling to raise money for a memorial to the battleship. And it wasn't until Elvis held that concert that the momentum was regained and they were able to raise all the money necessary, a half million dollars plus, to get that memorial built. Elvis would always go to Hawaii after that and always pay homage and would always go visit the memorial. And, and not without, you know, there wasn't a lot of publicity about it. He would just go. And uh, he was very moved. He didn't know the story until it was explained to him before the concert. So it became a part of his legacy and a little known part of his legacy that the memorial probably wouldn't be there today if it wasn't for the role of the king of rock and roll. 
This is fascinating, Tim. Oh my goodness. Like I, I, I'm no history buff. I was completely unaware of the struggle to create, to get a memorial and even more so that Elvis was such an instrumental part of making it happen. And I just hearing you talk and I love your passion. And I, I just, I love that we're having this conversation and I can't help but wonder is uh, how do you find this story or did this story just find you? As I said, I know a lot of people in Hawaii, and one of the people that we um, we deal with a lot is a guy named Daniel Martinez, who probably is the chief historian in the world on the USS Arizona. And there's so many stories about the USS Arizona. You know, that it was the battleship where 1,177 Marines and sailors were killed. It was ground zero, if you will, um, in 1941. I mean, almost half of those killed during the entire Pearl Harbor attack, 2,400 of those 2,400 Americans who died during the attack, 1,177 were on one battleship, the Arizona. So Daniel is the is the chief historian for the USS Arizona. And I, I would always be picking his brain saying, you know, what hasn't been done about the Arizona? He said, well, there's a story about Joe George. He's, he saved the last six guys off the Arizona. He was on a different ship. I'm like, let's do it. Let's call up Gary Sinise and let's have him narrate the film for us. So we did wow. that. I said, what else do you have for me that maybe is a something that will get the non-World War II uh, buff interested? And, I, and he said, well, you know, Elvis played a role in getting the Arizona built. I'm like, what? And then he goes into the story. And I said, this is a fascinating story. So we have to find people who went to the concert. We have to show the concert. We have to do all these things. We, we have to tell people about how this memorial came to fruition. And yeah. so... You know, stories find us. We find stories. We're always asking a lot of questions. What hasn't been done? You know, what what film hasn't been told? So we're always looking for new topics, new ways to motivate people to learn more about that generation and that important time period. Yeah, and and I think that that is so important because, as you mentioned, we we've, we've got fewer and fewer. World War II veterans around these days. I mean, it just, we're in 2021 now, and it's been a number of years since World War II. And I I can hear your passion and how we know it's so important to keep these stories going on because the people who lived it themselves are not necessarily still here to tell those stories themselves. And I, I think too about other kind of relations of relating to this story and how it might resonate not just with World War II, but as we pass different milestones. And, you know, the one that passed more recently is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So can we talk a little bit about how it kind of relates to some other things that have happened since World War II? There are two moments in American history where we were caught by surprise and mm. resulted in devastation and resulted in war. And that, the first was December 7th, 1941, and then September 11th, obviously, was the second. And the similarities between the two are extraordinary. Um, I always say, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it, it rhymes. So when people talk about 9-11 and, 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 and younger people are, are, are talking about it and they say, I can't believe this happened. And I said, well, you know, while this is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, this is also the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, which was our first 9-11, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, surprise attack, we were, we were not prepared. We didn't know it was coming. It catapulted us into a war. Um, so the similarities are that history um, provides us an opportunity to always be 
uh, vigilant and always to be uh, aware that things can happen again. So we always have to keep our guard up in some ways. So 9-11 to me was really just um, so uh, connected with what happened on December 7th. Um, and how the nation responded with patriotism on the day after, December 8th, 1941, and September 12th, 2001, were two of the most patriotic days in the history of the United States of America, and it's a time when America came together. So the question is, okay, how do you take those times of September 12th, 2001, and December 8th, 1941, and how do you bring Americans together when it doesn't involve uh, an attack mm -hmm. on our country? How come we can't solve our problems and come together in other times? And it, proof has shown that we can come together as a nation. So why does it take our nation being attacked for us to sit down at the table and say, let's work this out. Let's come together for a common good. Let's be a team. Let's not be divided. And unfortunately, it takes something like that to bring our country together where we're not Republicans and we're not Democrats and we're not this mm -hmm. and we're not that and we're not Red Sox fans. and We're not Yankees fans. We're, we're Americans. And it takes an act like that to bring us together, which is a shame when you really think about it, that the underlying potential is there for us to solve a lot of our problems if we all approached um, our, our country a little bit more in terms of unity and reacting as a country rather than as individuals. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll add a different perspective in two ways. I'll add a different perspective to that is I actually didn't grow up in this country. I'm from Canada. And I think even being Canadian it just, it's not just about patriotism, it's about being human and about being people. And it takes apart the side of all, all borders are gone and all labels are gone. And it's just about being human. And I, I kind of got goosebumps as you were talking. And, and the other kind of thing that resonated in my mind too is just a little tie back to core logic on a completely different note is one thing we talk about in the natural hazard world a lot is know your risk to help accelerate your recovery. And that's really exactly the same sentiment of what we're going at here is knowing and understanding a risk at what could happen at something like this level so that you can be prepared for it and not so taken off guard. Um, yeah, just the, those are kind of two of the things that kind of resonated with me as you were, as I got goosebumps as you were talking through this, Tim. So it's a lot of it is crisis management. Yeah. And you see that throughout World War II. They always talk about plans, and the plan for D Day went kaput after the first shot was fired. So then training kicks in. So I've spoken around the country to a lot of CEOs and, and groups um, like State Farm and, and uh, colleges. And we talk about the lessons of World War II applied to an uh, educational or corporate setting in 2021. And a lot of it yeah. is preparation. And it's when, when, when it all breaks down, are your people trained well enough to keep moving forward? And that was the case on D-Day, especially when a sergeant would be killed or a lieutenant would be killed, but then the private or the corporal would step up because they knew they were prepared, they were trained, they would lead the charge forward. So mm -hmm. if even in small groups in a corporate setting, there's always that one person. If that person is taken from the group, will the other people in the group be able to lead that group forward? And that all goes back to, again, training and preparation. And that goes back to World War II, when every plan, every battle plan on paper would always fall apart at the moment the battle began. And then what do you do? So yeah. 
it resonates today, and I, and I keep emphasizing that it resonates today. This isn't this isn't the Revolutionary War. This isn't you know that long ago. Yeah. I mean, seventy five years in the course of history is not a long time. So, in Europe at least, it's not a long time. Over here, we kind of think it's yesterday. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely resonates, and definitely not a long time. And something that there are many people that have personal connections to this yes. because they do have family members, even if they're not around anymore, that were directly impacted, directly a part of this. So, okay, I want to dive into the Elvis aspect of this, because I think that that's just such a fascinating part of it. And I think people will will be excited about this too, is it, you know, Elvis really in so many ways is probably one of the earliest examples of crowdfunding Mm -hmm. and raising his hand and volunteering to a cause that really matters. And clearly it was really important to him. So we're not all rock stars who can have the same sort of impact as Elvis. And he was huge in his time. I mean, he's still huge today, but in his time, he he was definitely huge. What do you think normal everyday people, what can we learn from these actions? How can we do something to make a difference? Um, I, I think the first step is, is finding out what you want to make a difference with or in um, you know, some people today. Um, everyone has their own cause. And there's so many worthwhile causes out there, health causes, and 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 um, you know there's just so many causes out there, climate, uh, everything that's going on in the world. You just have to decide what cause is dearest to you, and maybe even affects your own life. If it's if it's Alzheimer's, if you've had somebody in your family with cancer, it could be the climate crisis, it could be anything. But 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 just take that first step. And, and get involved. And it could be donating $10 to a, a GoFundMe, or it could be reaching out to a local chapter um, that's involved with a cause that's near and dear to your heart and getting involved volunteering in some way. Um, you know, history is a very difficult sell in terms of causes and, and trying to get this social media frenzied world to stop for a minute and think about men like Dwight Eisenhower and think about men who you know, led, led the world in a, in a crucial time. So we're, we're always so focused on what's going on now, the next tweet, the next Facebook post and everything else that we find out that there are many people who've come before us who um, took up the cause um, and, and they became successful in their cause because they just got involved. You don't have to solve the climate crisis or you don't have to cure cancer yourself, but you know you can get involved in some way and give a little bit of yourself. Everyone's so busy. Give a little bit, little bit of yourself to some cause that matters to you. And, the, and that first step is, is a Google search and finding out how you yeah. get involved in something that resonates within your own family or your community. And um, it doesn't have to define your life. It doesn't have to take over your life, but maybe you can give 2% of your life to it. And, and, and all those two percenters add up to 100%. So um, I know there are things that I'm passionate about um, that have helped me to overcome all these obstacles of fundraising, to help overcome all these obstacles of, of just trying to educate young people about things that happened a long time ago. Um, and the most difficult thing is, is, is with the younger generation, you have to kind of put it in their terms. You have to educate them on their age. You have to talk to a teenager about what it was like to be a teenager in World War II. So you have to understand how kids are educated these days. 
and they, they learn visually and through social media. And we and we we employ all those avenues. We don't sit there and say, oh, we, we're not going to ever post on Facebook or we're not going to ever um, you know, talk to kids about video games they're playing about World War II. Well, guess what? That's how kids are learning these days. So we're open. open yeah. that. So I, I think that's the that's the long answer to uh, a short question. I think just finding out what, what brings a little um, a little something to your own heart um, is is the way to go with that. Yeah, little little things really do add up. When a lot of people do a little bit, it becomes a lot. And just finding something you're passionate about and just taking that first step. And I I completely agree with you on that. So I guess just to wrap up today, Tim. What does the future hold for the World War II Foundation? And what lessons from the past do you think are the most important for all of us to hold on to? Um, our future, we've been over the years, we've been collecting these interviews um, dozens at a time since 2000, 2006, because we knew as we moved down the line that these guys would not be here anymore, these men and women and these survivors. So we have enough interviews that... 80% of our interviews haven't seen the light of day yet, and we've done 29 films. So we have so many incredible wow. stories in our archive, our video archive now of, of men who passed away five or 10 or 15 years ago. So we're gonna continue to do what we do because we find that with PBS and American Public Television, there's an insatiable appetite for this. Our films are actually ranked in the top five of most requested programs nationally by PBS stations, which tells me that people want to hear these stories and which will hopefully lead them to go Google D-Day or Auschwitz or Pearl Harbor or the Tuskegee Airmen or, or something along um, Rosie the Riveters um, along those lines. So we just want to be a conduit to keeping the stories of that generation alive so that they can continue to influence us into the future and, and really look at them as a blueprint for how we can become a better nation and become better as people. So that's kind of our goal, and and uh, we we hope to keep keep moving in that direction. We keep keep heading off the beach, even though we're being shot at a lot, <laughs> not literally. Yeah. Um, but um, but there are a lot of things when you're trying to educate about history, and a lot of challenges. But we we keep moving forward. Well, Tim, that is a beautiful sentiment for us to end on today, and this has been such a pleasure to chat with you and to learn more and just to to hear about your passion and to hear about what you're doing and hopefully inspire people whether it be about world war ii veterans or about something else that they are passionate about just to take that step make a little difference you know, make it be the change we want to see in this world right. so Thank you so much, Tim, for being here today and, and joining me on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. So for more information on the property market and the housing economy, please visit us at corelogic.com intelligence. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producers Ria Tarakia and Kelly Din, editor and sound engineer Romia Roman, and our social media team. Tune in next time for another core conversation. Mm-hmm.